Vision Edge gives you less eye strain and reduced damage caused by blue light. We like to call Vision Edge sunscreen for the eye. It all starts with your highest level of visual performance, only achievable through scientifically proven Vision Edge. Hello and welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Gill, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. Please visit the film's website at openyoureyes2020.com, featuring interviews with more than 50 optometrists from around the country sharing information on eye care and eye disease. If you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews. Also, please leave comments. Biohacking is usually described as a practice of self-experimentation with the goal of improving lifespan, health, and well-being. Biohacking is constantly evolving, but often includes diet, lifestyle, and technology to help monitor and regulate one's own physiology. Today's guest, technologist, actor, futurist, and filmmaker, David Choi. Because of deep personal tragedies, David Choi became a citizen scientist and biohacker and is the founder of Biohack the World. David's goal is to become mayor of New York City and make New York City the healthiest city in the world. Biohack the World features the world's foremost biohackers, scientists, and physicians to discuss the latest news in nutritional science and biotechnology. David, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Kerry. Pleasure to be here. I really appreciate it. And I, and I, I just, I love your Biohack the World. I love the lectures you put on. I, I, just, I just love it. It's fantastic. And I thank appreciate you. being a guest on Biohack the World. What does mm-hmm. biohacking mean to you? Sure. Uh, well, let me just first say that uh, with the mayor uh, running for mayor, I don't know when that's going to happen. It could be 10 years from now, 20 years from now, but... Um, really, I don't plan on retiring for at least till after I'm 100. So, uh, and that's what biohacking does. Biohacking will give me this much longer runway to be able to do all the things that I was meant to do in this life. And um, so I I have a lot to do before I run for mayor, but uh, biohacking and biohack the world is essentially my, the beginnings of my campaign for mayor. And so what is biohacking? Biohacking, as you probably know, is as much an art as it is a science of uh, optimizing your biology, your psychology, your environment, all in the name of peak performance, right? So, and there's a wide spectrum of biohackers. There's like the all natural variety, which, you know, intermittent fasting is the most popular biohack for biohackers, um, optimizing your sleep and your exercise and that's on the all natural side and then you also have the types of people who are going to try to change their genes a gene editing um designer babies and maybe implant some chips under your skin and that sort of thing i'm personally not open i haven't warmed up yet to putting chips under my skin but i'm open to the future and anything that um can prove itself to be efficacious and safe. Um, and so it, it is a bit controversial, like uh, trying to get that uh, leg up on somebody with using technology. But um, I think that's what biohacking is all about. You know, really sometimes like, technology yeah. is beneficial and sometimes people feel the EMS from technology could be harmful. Yeah. And how do, you, how do you reconcile that? <laughs> 
I I personally like the science for me isn't there yet. Um, like five G causes cancer. I mean, I don't know yet. I so I'm I what I like to do is to wait and see what happens. I'm not the early, early adopter for a lot of these things. And honestly, with biohacking, there's a lot of bad science out there and marketing, and it really feels like the wild, wild west of wellness when it comes to biohacking. So it really behooves um, any budding biohacker to be able to do their own due diligence and dive into the research, be an auditor, be a sleuth. Like, don't just take things on hearsay or, oh, this person told me to eat this and so I'm going to do it. No, actually go into the studies yourself and really see how the studies were designed and who funded it and um, all these things. Take all that into account. And then I guess like at this point, it's become like a uh, a gut instinct of like, okay, what is, does that feel like it's a real biohack or is it just marketing? And so um, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I, I do want to convey to the listeners that um, don't believe everything that you hear with biohacking. And sometimes some of the best stuff is free, you know, like intermittent fasting, um, exercise, high intensity interval training, uh, optimizing your sleep, these cost nothing. And those are probably going to be the, the greatest bang for your buck, the ones that are going to have the greatest impact on your health so, and longevity. And Before lifespan, we get into the span. details of the specific ones that you do and the ones mm -hmm. that you feel from learning from a lot of the experts, tell us your story, why you got involved in biohacking around 2014, I believe. Yeah, that's right. So, gosh, I, I suffered from severe chronic depression for many years, um, stemming from losing my sister. So I was, my sister, she was my only other sibling. She was three years older than me. Um, and at the age of four, I was one, so I, I don't remember everything, but my parents um, told me she was misdiagnosed at the age of four with intestinal cancer, a condition that she didn't actually have. And um, she was administered chemotherapy, for that and um, the chemotherapy, the side effect, it irreversibly damaged her heart muscle. And so she lived for the next six years after that um, with a weak heart. And at the age of 13, she had heart failure. She had a heart transplant. She was uh, in a coma for a while. And then um, after she came out of that, she survived another six years as a transplant uh, patient um, with, uh, with a foreign heart with some girl who got into a car accident uh, down in Florida. They helicoptered up her, her heart up to New York where mm. my sister got it. Um, so growing up, I witnessed the ravages of Western medicine and a, a lot of the mistakes that happen. And honestly, like a lot of what Big Pharma does is, is kind of an experiment on people because they have no idea. Like I watched my sister be a guinea pig for all these medications and they didn't know at the time like what all the synergistic effects would be on this medication, on that. They were just trying to suppress symptoms and never really trying to address the root cause. And so, and, and they had no idea what the interactions would be on the gut microbiome because we're only now starting to understand that, right? And so um, I feel like all of that has led me to try to um, really understand what it is, what foundational health is, and how to achieve foundational health without 
having to depend on any kind of pharmaceutical drugs. And uh, my mission has become, ever since I've experienced that, my mission has become to help as many people on this planet not experience what my sister did, to help as many people take control of their own health. And that's why I started Biohack the World, so that I could bring some of the world's foremost um, speakers and experts to the stage to be able to deliver this message to people that you can take control of your own health, that 90% of all chronic metabolic conditions can be um, reversed, if not prevented, uh, prevented, if not reversed, um, through dietary and lifestyle changes. And so that's really my mission on, uh, with all of this and Biohack the World is to, to help people. Did they ever find out what was wrong with your sister, really? Um, well, so the first general physician that my parents brought her to, she had uh, had said that she had the stomach flu and that she was just going to need to rest and drink plenty of water and that she'd be fine. But my parents, they had just immigrated from Korea and didn't speak English very well. They wanted a second opinion, brought her to a big, um, very kind of famous hospital, uh, Waltham's Children's Hospital in in massachusetts and um the doctor there had made an error and said that she had cancer intestinal cancer so i don't i don't know uh, but that is i don't know exactly but that's um what was conveyed to me um through my family and all the records that they had so um i'm just that's that's really what spurred me to do everything that i'm doing well wow, that's really a very difficult story and yeah it's amazing that you've been able to channel it and into something positive. Yeah. Well, it was, and change yourself. Yeah. It wasn't very, it wasn't easy at all. Um, I, I went through a really rough patch after my sister had passed away. I tried to bury it in my mind and not really address it and try to just work as hard as I could so that I didn't uh, work hard, party hard, whatever. Um, so that I didn't have to really address it or, or, uh, or remember it. Um, I guess that was one of the strategies that I picked up from my dad and it wasn't a good one. Um, he just wanted me to try to forget it. And that's, uh, you know, in hindsight, that, that really led to a lot of complications in my life. Uh, but when I finally started to address it in 2014, so before 2014, I, I was working hard. I was, uh, I was also like partying hard with friends and in this dance music culture and that sort of thing. So I wasn't very sober. Uh, I, I had a lot of escapist tendencies. Um, but in 2014, I, I decided that it was time to turn it all around. Um, my first acting teacher had challenged me to 90 days of sobriety, which I say half facetiously, but I think he saved my life because if it wasn't for him, I, I might be dead in a gutter somewhere. I don't know. Um, but because of that challenge and because of the kind of person that I am, if you challenge me, you say that I can't do something or, you know, you challenge me to do something, I'm going to meet that challenge. Um, but this was probably one of the hardest things that I've ever tried to do, which was uh, go sober. And um, the first month, like he said, 90 days. I was like, can I just do 30 days? And he was like, no, 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 no. It's like, you need 90 days to rewire the reward circuitry in your brain. And, and he was right. He was right. Uh, after the first 30 days, it was really tough, but um, I, I was able to get through it. And then I just started to th see things really kind of brighten up and improve in my life. And, um, and then 90 days came and just everything was getting better and brighter around me. Um, 
things that I couldn't even continue, like um, I, I can associate with each other. Like my friends' relationships with each other was getting better. My my parents were nicer to me. I mean, I was getting a raise. I I got a promotion at work. Things were just really starting to pick up for me. And so I said, okay, let's see what I can do. And I, I just, I went on a stretch of 154 days in, um, and then had a beer at a party, and then I got right back on the sober, uh, the sober horse, and uh, I continued on. And so, up the, I, I'd say more. I mean, I'm not so strict at this point. I'll maybe have a glass of wine or two a year, uh, maybe at a holiday party, but um, alcohol is no longer in my repertoire. What would you say to people that have addiction problems? What are the key things that you feel how they could actually? heal from addiction yeah that's a great question um i did a whole host of things like uh an ayahuasca ceremony um psychedelics uh exercise but what i really landed on was sport um and and acting actually acting it gave me this purpose um to become the best version of myself that i possibly could be and i say this to a lot of people that acting actors training can make you into a better human it makes you a better listener um because you can't act if you're not listening to your acting partner if if you're just you know just trying to play the lines as you think it should be played you actually have to listen to the emotion that's being delivered to you and just basically you have to be keenly aware of your environment in order to become a ba uh, the best actor you could possibly be um, but also that you know if you're striving for that lead role i knew that at that time when I was not sober, I was not um, physically where I needed to be, no one was gonna uh, help me get that lead role, right? Or I, I probably wouldn't have gotten that. So um, it drove me to become the best version of myself that I could possibly be. And that included going sober. And so, um, but in order to maintain that, I think you really need a, a white hot why right? What is your why? What is your purpose? And acting gave that to me. Um, I think sport gave that to me and community because I started doing CrossFit. Um, and to this day, I, I wouldn't want to do it any other way. Um, I think that the community, the CrossFit community is very supportive. Uh, everyone wants to help each other become the best version of themselves. And um, that's really, really what helped me to stay on the straight and narrow. Mm -hmm. Explain about CrossFit. What are the yeah. benefits? What is CrossFit? How does sure. it work? And why is it maybe better than other types of exercise? Well, CrossFit is a sport of fitness, right? So it's, it's hard to compare uh, CrossFit to, let's just say, working out, going to the gym or anything like that, because it's, it's competitive fitness, right? And it's functional movements done at a high intensity, um, and it's constantly varied, right? So it's a different workout every single time you go. There's never the same workout twice unless it's like a bench part workout. Um, and so it involves, a, it's a cross section of uh, gym, Olympic weightlifting, gymnastics, running, rowing, swimming, all the sports that you could possibly think of. You throw it all into a hopper and you, you roll the hopper and then you pull out, okay, pull ups today, okay, um, uh, snatches, clean and jerks, whatever, running, rowing. And then you, then you create a workout from there and it's competitive, right? So it's for time. And, you know, the um, founder, the former founder, uh, the, uh, sorry, the founder and former CEO of CrossFit, Greg Glassman, when he was a trainer 
um, when he had first was starting out um, as a trainer, he had realized that, uh, yeah, you could hire a trainer to yell at you and scream at you and tell you to work out harder, do more reps. And, but no one's going to push you harder than yourself than when there's a clock because he realized that people will die for points. Right? So if you're in a race, you're in a competitive race, you want to get your best time. You don't need a trainer to tell you to run faster uh, or, or to train harder. You're going to do that yourself. So that's it in a nutshell. Um, I know that there's a lot of people who say that it's dangerous and it's injurious. Uh, um, and I think that the, my counter argument to that is that CrossFit is uh, infinitely scalable. So you can, whatever you think you can do, or um, like if you, if you can't do a push-up, you do it on your knees. If you can't do it, a push-up on your knees, you do it against the wall. So everything is scalable to your own ability. And um, I think in the beginning, it did have this semblance of, okay, if this is for tough people only. Um, but they, they've definitely opened it up to where there isn't any pressure to perform the movements in a way that may possibly harm you. So um, I think it's going to require, it's definitely more for, um, I feel like anybody can do it, but to do it effectively and well, you need a really good coach. Um, and so when I say that when I tell people that they should try CrossFit, I, I also tell them, hey, you should also do a lot of research into the coach that is going to be at that box, do research about the box, because choosing the right CrossFit box is like choosing a university. Yeah, you can go to a community college or you can go to an Ivy League. And um, it's, it's a great thing that a lot of people have access to um, like a, a really top-notch uh, top box. Like, so if you do your research, um, of the different CrossFit boxes in your area, I would, I would suggest that that person take a trial class and really feel, feel out the coach. So what are your favorite biohacks and tell us how you perform them? Sure. Um, well, the things that I, well, with biohacking is a lot of self-quantification, right? So you're going to need a lot of data. Um, so at any given time, I have like three wearables on me. I got my Samsung watch, my whoop band and my CGM, which I think is probably, it might be the most, uh, well, for me, it's one of my favorite wearables, right? So I can ch uh, track my glucose levels. Um, and so let, let me interrupt you for one second with yeah. the continuous glucose monitor, the CGM, yeah. mm -hmm. what foods raise your glucose that surprised you? That's a good question. I, I like, I'll show you, um, my, my, uh, glucose levels or my logbook. It hasn't really gone out of the green because I do intermittent fasting, uh, probably my favorite biohack going back to my favorite biohacks. Uh, I don't start eating until 4 p.m. and I stop eating. Like I just have one meal a day actually. And it's a high protein meal. And so I don't get hungry and I, I can, uh, it allows me to fast all the way to 4 p.m. the next day. Um, so what foods have surprised me? I would, it could be a little bit of rice, but, um, or sweet potatoes, but uh, it's never really gone out of the green. I think that, you know, because I'm so fit at this point, um, I, I, I haven't had any big surprises. If you eat rice cold, does it, does it change the difference in the way your 
your glucose changes. Yeah, so you can cool down rice and make it into a more resistant starch so that it won't spike your insulin uh, so much. But uh, I don't know, I haven't, I don't really like cold rice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because, you know, as an eye doctor, this is something that I recommend to my patients Mm. because, you know, certainly with our diabetics, you know, diabetes is the leading cause of blindness under the age of 55. And we don't want them to spike their glucose. The longer their glucose stays higher, the greater risk of them bleeding in the back of their eye called the retina and they could, that Mm -hmm. could cause blindness. So I really encourage the diabetics to, to use it, you know, as, as, mm-hmm. as, as very, as a very powerful tool. Yeah. Um, I, I usually eat cauliflower rice more so than actual white rice, but, uh, on occasion I will have that white rice when it's a, a big workout day and I'm doing multiple workouts, uh, in general, I'll do a weightlifting session, um, around noon and then I'll do a CrossFit workout in the evening after I eat. So before I work out, I'll eat uh, a high protein meal. Uh, so before I eat a high protein meal, I'll do a, a strength training workout, fasted, and then I'll afterward after my one meal, I'll have a CrossFit workout after that. I wish there was a continuous insulin monitor, because as yeah. we know, your insulin goes yeah. up and it becomes abnormal before your glucose does. Mm-hmm. Do you use a CGM? I don't know, but I've thought about using it. Okay. No, but I I don't use it. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. So do you ever wear aura ring or? I have an aura ring. I kind of stopped wearing it um, because of my whoop band is doing it. Um, I I figured there's, there's only so many ways I can track my sleep and a lot of, yeah. So it's supposed to be very effective at uh, tracking your deep sleep and, you know, um, I, I mean, I, I have my whoop band, so I don't, I don't really feel the need to wear tell, another tell sleep tracker. Tell what the whoop band does and how sure. it helps you. Yeah, the whoop band can track your HRV and your, it gives you a recovery score. Um, and it, it, it informs me as to how hard of a workout I should probably do that day. Um, you don't, I don't always listen to it because I'll listen to my body and I'll say, okay, I feel good today. Uh, you know, So I think at the end of the day, you're going to want to trust your body more so than any tracker or wearable, but they're good data points. It'll tell you like what your, your heart rate variability is, um, what your sleep score was, and you can possibly make some informed decisions about, you know, how you're going to work out that day. Based on and tip, those typically, how is your sleep? You know, does wearing this help your sleep? or make you more conscious of your sleep and it actually hurts your sleep maybe at the beginning till you get kind of get used to it like anything else. Yeah, so I think that it's fun to try to optimize your sleep based on the data that you're getting from uh, the whoop band. But so there are people who biohack out of fear and like they, they, they'll, they come from a place of fear, right? Oh, the world is, the sky is falling down. I got to do these biohacks. Um, whereas like there are other people who are trying to, you know, optimize their biology and, and it's all for peak performance. And so, um, you got to take these wearables in stride like you can't, you can't feel like, um, if it gives you a low recovery score that all is doomed, that your, your, your health is failing. I think that, um, th- there's, they're not always right. And so you're really going to have to unplug occasionally and learn to trust your body. 
and how you feel. But I think that the wearables like Whoop will help you to better understand, um, okay, so this is what this data point means and then how does that correlate to how I'm feeling now? And so I think that you really shouldn't um, pin all your hopes on, on the data that you're getting from your wearable. What have you seen that affects your heart rate variability, your HRV, uh, a lot, you know, to make it improve or not improve? Is it the way you sleep or what you exercise, what you eat? What can you correlate with it? Just, you know, for yourself. Really. Yeah, for, uh, for anecdotal evidence, um, I definitely, when I'm doing a really hard workout the next day, my recovery is going to be a little low. Um, and if I'm not doing high intensity interval training every single day, like I used to be, I used to just be kind of mad about that. And um, I, I, I think this pandemic situation has helped me to tone it down a little to where it was optimal for my body to not to realize that it's optimal for my body to not do so many workouts a week. And so giving my, my body enough uh, recovery has definitely allowed my HRV to go higher. Um, obviously stress, not trying to not be stressed out. And interestingly, like I've been taking elderberry supplements, um, concentrated elderberry uh, since the pandemic started, because that's kind of one of the things that you know, you want to do to strengthen your immune system. And so um, I've seen my HRV go up a little higher because of it. So, I mean, I, that's, I have no way to, it's not very scientific, but it's anecdotal. Yeah. How much, if you're under a lot of stress, how does it affect it? I haven't been under a lot of stress, oh, okay. uh, to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think the biohack, I mean, it's it's been years since I've like really felt super stressed out, maybe a couple of years. But um, since the pandemic, so I started dating this girl that I met on a, on a dating app and we've kind of just really hit it off. And so this pandemic has been really kind of stress-free. And a lot of, uh, so besides that, I, a lot of what I've been doing from like tr my strength training, my cardio, uh, eating right, all being sober for the past, like what, six, seven years, that has all prepared me to get me to this point where like, I'm just at this really good place where like I, I have this deep gratitude for the universe, for everything that is happening. Um, and surrender and you know like to just say okay this is the way the world is and it's okay and everything is a lesson and a blessing so you talk a lot about being prepared for and fear the balancing fear and panic if you can talk about that a little bit sure so oh gosh um so i i work as an it auditor uh and cybersecurity specialist and one of the things requirements uh one of, the, one of the requirements for these publicly traded companies on the New York Stock Exchange is that they have to abide by the rules of the SEC. And the, one of those rules is that they have to have a disaster recovery plan, a business continuity plan in place uh, for their shareholders, right? So I do a lot of that testing and I, I, I apply that to my own life and I say, okay, I need to have a good business continuity plan because I'm the CEO of my health of my health and my life. And I need to know how to ensure 
that in case of a disaster that my life will go on, right? And so um, I think that everyone should think in the future, think, you know, future forward and really try to plan out um, like things like this, like a pandemic where you wouldn't be able to work out uh, in your gym uh, on a day-to-day basis. Um, But so disaster preparedness is something that, you know, I'm not a like quote unquote prepper, um, but I've, like I said, I, you know, I've, I've been unwittingly preparing myself for stretches of what's going on right now where, you know, we don't have a lot of social interaction. I don't get a lot of, I don't get as many steps in a day as I used to. I'm maybe walking 3000 steps a day, maybe less. Uh, but I do, um, do my workouts. So I, I built a home gym and, you know, I, I think that the prep never ends. You always have to constantly prepare your mind, um, and your body. So general physical preparedness is something that I really advocate for that everyone should really concentrate on their fitness. And if you have your fitness in place, then everything else is just going to fall into place as they should. That's my philosophy. So who have been some of your favorite guests that you've had uh, for Biohack the World? Now you you, you took it to online and Mm -hmm. you you have great lectures and interviews and especially when it was live. I mean, you you were packing, uh, was it the Armitage? Mm -hmm. You were packing it. Uh, The assemblage. Assemblage. And you you were packing it and the food was great and there was so much energy in there. And it's really kind of a shame because the pandemic yeah. kind of delayed that it's kind of brought you kind of doing it online. Mm-hmm. Uh, but tell us about some of your favorite guests, some of the things you you've learned from them. Sure. Um, well that gosh, uh, biohack the world has been such a journey. The reason why I started it was to, um, to surround myself with, you know, as many like-minded people, but also people that I can learn from. Right. And so I learned a great deal from Dave Asprey. And he was our first speaker. So it was a very auspicious start to the Biohack the World series uh, to have Dave Basprey come and speak. And um, so I would say that Dave Asprey is the reason why I got into biohacking. Uh, Bulletproof Coffee was my first quote unquote biohack, right? And, uh, and then I went, into, I got into intermittent fasting because of the Bulletproof Coffee. And from there, it's just kind of, um, yeah, it's sped on to like understanding what it is that I should be eating. Um, and so the Bulletproof Diet really kind of helped me as well. But then I, then I had a talk with Dr. Gabrielle Lyon and how important protein is to your health and your longevity and that how muscle, lean muscle is the organ of longevity, right? And the more, and it behooves us to put all of us to put on as much lean muscle as our genetic, our genetics will allow, right? So, and how do you do that? You have to eat high quality protein. And so that really kind of shifted my focus away from just eating a wide variety, like the Mediterranean diet or whatever, but also just like really kind of honing in on the quality of protein and how much protein I should be eating. Um, Also because I watched my father suffer from sarcopenia um, so my dad passed away in 2017 and, um, he had complete muscle waste in his body. I mean, he couldn't even, uh, his thighs were as thin as my arms when I saw him in his last two weeks of his life. And, um, it was because he didn't 
exercise. Number one reason was because he didn't exercise and also because he didn't eat enough high quality protein. So, but he was also type two diabetic. And so that really kind of uh, led to heart failure down the line. Um, and then more recently was um, when we had Dr. Paul Saladino, who is a carnivore MD, and he came on and we had this great talk about, you know, the carnivore diet. And I started to um, leverage the carnivore diet, carnivore-ish. I would say that I'm like 90% carnivore, like nose to tail carnivore. Um, and that's really kind of helped me in a lot of ways. Although my general physician is shocked and uh, scared for me because my LDL cholesterol is at 307. Um, so it's like sky high, but in the absence, at the same time, it's in the absence of any other really bad biomarkers, right? So like my insulin is great, my um, uh, fasting glucose is great, everything is really good, right? And so, um, and I feel good. Like my, I, I'm strong and I'm performing the way I feel like I should be performing. And then I started to dig into like, okay, what about these, what is it about these keto carnivore people with high sky high LDL? Cause it's not just me. It's pretty much anyone who's on the keto carnivore diet. They're going to have a really high LDL. Um, and so Paul, Sal, Paul Saladino has definitely helped me to understand that it's not uh, necessarily a bad thing. So LDL cholesterol isn't uh, the culprit. It's not the thing or it, like it helped me to reframe my idea of what, how, bad cholesterol can interact in your body. Macular degeneration is a leading cause of vision loss, with 15% of Americans being at risk or already affected. Scientific evidence proves that by using mesozeaxanthin, lutein, and zeaxanthin together replenishes the macular pigment and promotes healthier vision. This formula comes in only one product, MacuHealth. Thank you for tuning in to the Open Your Eyes podcast. If you like the video you're watching, please hit the like button. Also hit subscribe for weekly new episodes of the podcast along with pod winks and bonus content. All right, let's get back to the show. Have you had a calcium score? That's a good question. I, I did not see the calcium score. It may have been in there, but... Uh, okay, that would be yeah. like an x-ray. You know, I had uh, Joel Kahn. I interviewed him. He, he's a vegan cardiologist. Yeah. And you know, you know, the it's big now that they recommend if you have high LDL and or high have high cholesterol and you go and have a calcium score and it's zero, then you know that there's no no harm, no foul. Mm. Okay. So, I mean, so that's always something that you could if you're worried about heart. Well, you know, it's it's you have high cholesterol or high LDL and you're worried about your heart, you go and have a calcium score. And the experts in this field are saying, well, you know, if it's very low, you really don't have to worry. How do I get that test? Uh, you just have to have a prescription for it and you go to uh, radiology and they'll do it. It's mm -hmm. a, it costs $99 and it's mm -hmm. really simple. Okay. I'll definitely look into that. And yeah. I definitely need to take you up on taking a look into my eye. Yeah, see how so, that looks. absolutely. So talk to me about nose yeah. to tail. Oh, I'm sorry, get, keep, get, I interrupt. Yeah. No, I was going to ask, do you, do you see any patients that are uh, keto carnivore or carnivore uh, diet? You know, not many. I do get a lot no. of referrals from integrative doctors, but typically those patients, the wheels are coming off the bus. Mm. Not so much, you know, you know, I don't see a lot. Maybe once in a while, I'll see somebody. 
but typically I'm in New Jersey and there aren't, uh, people aren't as healthy here as maybe New York City. Yeah. As you, as you might say. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. so, you know, as you would think. Mm. So, so. Oh, yeah, no, I was just thinking, you know, like uh, Paul said, Saladino had um, helped me to understand also that, or like to just reframe things to where, okay, so it's possible that plant foods were just survival foods to try to get to the next kill for our hunter and gather ancestors, right? And we did, we do know that there are um, populations of humans that, that eat, uh, that subsist almost exclusively on animal protein, right? There was the Comanche Indians, definitely, they were, they were a nomadic tribe that they followed uh, the buffalo. I learned that from uh, Joe Rogan. Uh, but there's the Inuit Indians, uh, Inuit Eskimo, sorry, um, that uh, they subsist almost uh, exclusively on whale meat and whale blubber. And for entire seasons, and they don't have a lot of the issues that people have today in our society. So, um, I think and, it's, and then you have yeah. you know Jack Wolfson, who's a paleocardiologist. Mm -hmm. So you know uh, Joel Kahn and Jack Wolf and Jack Wolfson are, you know, they have a totally different philosophy, but in the end, a lot of it is very very similar. Mm -hmm. you know, it's just what they kind of concentrate more. But when it comes to the testing and you know, they, they, they do feel, they do uh, feel a lot of the same mm -hmm. tests that people should have a lot of the same tests and they interpret the labs sim in a similar mm -hmm. manner. Mm -hmm. uh, to talk about what the benefits of nose to tail eating are uh, as far as vitamins go and, uh, and what you're gaining from it. Sure. Um, I, I mean, I'm not the world's foremost expert on all of this. Um, I let the experts usually talk about this, but I do appreciate the fact that uh, organ meats are super nutrient dense. They have a lot of the vitamins and minerals that uh, are not necessarily found in lean meats, um, but also that you don't wanna just eat the lean cuts of, of the animal because then you're gonna miss out on a lot of the uh, super nutritious fats. You know? And if the animal is grass fed and grass finished, really, like that's what I, aim to eat all the time is that uh, an animal that was humanely raised sustainably raised um, had only one bad day in their life kind of animals and so those animals who are just eating grass all day long and um, all the way up until you know they're slaughtered their fats are super nutrient dense um, and so the CLA and I mean I, I don't want to like start naming things that I that that I don't really fully understand. So I'm not going to go into that, but yes, the, I'm not afraid of fat. I'm not afraid of uh, the high quality fat and the tendons and the cartilage and um, the organ meats. And even uh, I'll like, I'll, I'll try to eat as much fish heads as I can, like in anchovies, I'll eat the entire anchovy um, because of, you know, that's, that's really uh, where a lot of the nutrition is. And I, I think um, when you, look at the how the hunter and gather and how our hunter and gather ancestors had eaten um, when they had killed the animal they would really try to go for the entrails and the organ meats first before anything else and they would aim to try to get um to to kill fatter animals the ones the animals that had more fat on them because it was more sustaining and it could help them go longer periods without um having to kill another animal. Yeah, I mean, even fish from canned fish that has the bones, 
uh, you get a lot of calcium that way. Mm -hmm. And when you're mm -hmm. eating your nose to tail and you're eating the connective tissue, you're getting mm -hmm. 17 different types of amino acids. The amino mm -hmm. acids are more balanced than if you're just eating muscles. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that's probably some of the benefits right there. Yeah. And that's why, you know, people like Dr. Saladino uh, recommend, you know, will recommend that, mm -hmm. you know, so I think that that's really interesting. Are you a fan of bone broth? I do um, drink bone broth. Yeah. Um, but I, I take a lot of collagen protein. Um, so through the show, Blueproof had sponsored us and get, given us like $25,000 worth of collagen <laughs> to wow. give out. And I was just kind of giving it out left and right before the pandemic. And, um, and so I got left this huge stockpile of uh, grass fed collagen protein from Bulletproof. So that's really my version of drinking bone broth. Decent. And how about certain supplements that you like to, to, to take? Sure. Um, I would say, oh gosh, uh, I have a list here that I was going to bring up here, but um, yeah. So ancestral supplements, the uh, liver, um, organ meats, desiccated organ meats in capsules, uh, vitamin D is uh, something that I take on a daily basis. But the first thing that I do when I wake up is drink two big glasses of water, um, have some elderberry and uh, ginger and apple cider vinegar. So this is something my family has been making since, uh, I guess, for the past 25 years. We basically take raw ginger and we peel it, wash and peel it, and then blend it with apple cider vinegar into this applesauce consistency. And we make it by the gallon and keep it in our fridge. And um, I take two heaping tablespoons in the morning of that right after I drink water. And I just kind of feel bulletproof. I just, I rarely ever get sick because of it. Um, this is like even before I got into fitness and eating right. You, you, take, uh, it before, you take it before you eat to help with digestion? Yeah, uh, I take it any time to help helps with my digestion, helps to blunt my insulin response when I'm eating or any kind of food. Um, and so like, I, I don't see big spikes when I look at my CGM, whenever I'm taking ginger, turmeric and these kinds of, yeah. Supplements. This CGM so, con continuous glucose monitoring. Yeah, that's right. So um, you, you drink this special type of water. Can you explain about this water that you drink? Oh, the totem sport. See, I. Yeah. The seawater. Um, so the totem sport, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I the jury's still out on that. I mean, the way that they presented it was that it was like a deep sea water um, that's like infused with like uh, a lot of minerals. Um, and so I was taking that. I no longer take it. Um, I I can't tell you. I can't. I advocate I, I'm interested because I interviewed Gerald Pollack yeah. last week. Oh, okay, the Keton. We'll we haven't shown the interview yet, but it will. And you know, uh -huh. was, you know, unstructured water. You know, gel water. Right. You know, and, and yeah. he, he calls it easy water, inclusion uh -huh. zone water. And it was a very interesting interview. How about any kind of snacks? Oh, you 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 fast till four o'clock, and I fast till four o'clock. I try not. To, I mean, it's it's not a strict fast because I drink coffee um, with collagen and some maca and ashwagandha in my coffee. So, but no solid foods until about four p.m. And that at that time, I'm eating a very high high protein meal. Um, but so no snacks. But if I really 
did want a snack, I, I love to do, I have an air fryer. I highly recommend an air fryer. It's amazing. Go uh -huh. to go to an Asian supermarket and buy these dried anchovies from like Japan or Asia or whatever. And if you just throw some drizzle, some olive oil, some salt, pepper, garlic powder, throw it into the air fryer so that it crisps it up real nice. You have this amazing nose to tail anchovy snack. That right, you can, and the tiny little yeah. bones, right? Yeah, yeah but you, it, it's better than potato chips. Rather like, than taking calcium uh, pills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so say, how do you do that again? Just, let's repeat that. So, I, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Air fryer. So you go to an Asian supermarket and you'll buy the dried anchovies. It's usually in the produce section near the refrigerators. They'll keep it refrigerated. Um, but you can buy them by the pound of dried anchovies. And it's super economical in that sense. Um, so then you take that and then you bring it home and you, you um, drizzle some olive oil, salt, pepper, garlic, onion powder, whatever it is that you want, red pepper, and then air fry it for like 10 minutes and it crisps it up real nice and it becomes an incredible nutritious snack. Awesome. That is really yeah. awesome. Any other uh, nutritious snacks that you could recommend? Nutritious snacks. Uh, well, let's see. What else? I, I don't, I, you know, like I cheat every now and then. It's not cheating. I, uh, it's never really that bad. Um, so my girlfriend is a phenomenal baker and a cook. And um, so she, we love to do desserts, but uh, we only want to do healthy desserts, right? And so we've replaced uh, all of the like flowers to keto flowers, like almond flour or coconut flour. Um, our, the sugars uh, are replaced with Lakanto, which is erythritol and oligosaccharides. And that makes it really kind of guilt-free. I mean, my CGM, it never spikes from these desserts. So you could have your cake and eat it too. Um, so awesome. I, I think, yeah, I, I really want everyone to try swapping out their sugar in their baked goods uh, for Lakanto and see how that goes. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And how about sitting? You know, you have a job where you're, yeah. do, excuse me, technology. Do you stand up every 20 minutes? Sitting is a new smoking. That's what they say, right? And I try as much as possible to not have too long of a stretch of just sitting. Um, and, but, you know, like Sachin Panda, he's the one, you know, like he's a big proponent of like eating while the sun is up. Um, to maintain your circadian rhythm, but that's good for people who are on their feet a lot. Um, like if you're a healthcare worker or you're, you know, someone who's just like moving around during the day, not necessarily for a blue collar, sorry, a white collar worker, someone who's sitting at a desk, right? And so I feel like the the worst thing you could do, the worst part about sitting is eating and then sitting and not doing anything with all that energy that you just put into your body, right? Um, and so I, that's why I don't eat until 4 p.m. And um, so I think it's not so much the sitting as much as it is the eating and then sitting that, that is kind of harmful for your body. See, I feel that the best way to do intermittent fasting is to eat a big breakfast, eat okay. a big lunch, and then okay. stop eating at night. All right. I think that's... the biggest problem that people have is 
when they, you know, you could do it where you stop at 4.30, 5 o'clock. But what happens, people don't eat all day. And then at 7 or 8, they eat. And then they go Ravenous. to sleep. And they're on the pseudo res- the sumo wrestler diet. Mm. Yeah, so they're, they're sleeping with a bunch of food in their stomach, you're saying? Right, yeah. right. Because they're, yeah, and- they're so hungry at night. Yeah. So it's just a different philosophy of doing it. That's kind of how, yeah. that's how I do it. Yeah. That's how I... I don't do it every day like that, but I try to do it four or five days a week. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're also moving around a lot, right? You're on your yeah, feet. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, so. I'm on my feet all day. Yeah, you know, I'm I don't not. sit much. You know, yeah. so. And how about the concept of nutrigenomics? I know it's something that you're very interested in. Yeah, um, well, eating for your biology. And I, I think that my, my thought process on that has definitely shifted and evolved quite a bit. Uh, ever since I got into nose to tail carnivore, um, but more or less just eating what is seasonal, eating what is what we're meant to be eating, um, eating for your DNA, um, looking at what your ancestors were eating, because that's probably how your gut microbiome has evolved to be, to be able to process those foods. So I think that white rice is not so bad for me because I'm Asian. Uh, it's, it's not as bad for me as it would be for someone who their, you know, their ancestry has no, no uh, history of eating white rice, right? And so um, I, I, using food as medicine is definitely something that's really big on me, but big to me, but I honestly, um, my my priority has shifted quite a bit to exercise. I feel like exercise is the main uh, nutrient. They say that you know optimal health is eighty percent nutrition and twenty percent exercise. I think it's more like fifty fifty. But let's just say it is that twenty percent. They really should tell you also that without that twenty percent, you will live a severely degraded quality of life and you're going to bring tremendous suffering to yourself and to everyone around you. I mean, that was my father through and through. He never exercised. He ate right. He like, I mean, just really clean all the time and lots of plant-based foods, but he never exercised. Right. Um, And really that's, that was his, that was his downfall. That's really what led to his sarcopenia. And how about sunlight? What do you, where does that fall in the, in the equation? Do you get, you get sun in the morning and try to get the infrared and the UV, I, infrared and the blue and the UV kind of mixed together? Of course, UV comes up a little later, depending on the latitude, mm-hmm. you know, the whole Jack Cruz thing. Right, right. Um, so I live in Queens and uh, in New York, I mean, there's areas of New York City where you like, if you're working a bank job, you almost never are going to get sun. Um, I sadly do not get enough sun. I wish I do. Uh, I wish I did, but I do make it a point to at least once or twice a week to go out uh, hiking and really soak up that sun as much as I can. I do notice my libido is going up um, uh, after I get a good dose of healthy sunlight. Um, And so I I don't have one of those sun lamps. I'm thinking about getting one, but one supplement that I do take, it's called Strong Like Bull. Uh, it's got plenty of NAC um, NALT um, in it. And it's, uh, I think that that has helped me to not have these uh, episodes of uh, seasonal depression. Um, I'll, I'll share a link with you. I, I can't speak 
too intelligently about it, but um, it is one of my supplements that I've been taking that I've been experimenting with as of late to help me not feel seasonal uh, depression. But yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I do need to get more sun. <laughs> so you're interested, I know, in plant medicine. Is there any different types of plant medicine that, that you take for yourself and, you know, as kind of prevention, you know, whether it's curcumin or, you know, cleaning yeah. with tea tree oil or echinacea sure. tea or something? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of that is definitely in my daily repertoire. Uh, ginger and turmeric. So I do take ginger and turmeric supplements. I also, like I said, make the ginger and apple cider um apple cider vinegar uh, concoction that I take on a daily basis and um, elderberry. Uh, I really kind of feel like elderberry is helping me out a, a, a bit uh, with H HRV and immunity. So um, definitely into those things. But like I said, I think, you know, because my, sh my focus has shifted to more of a carnivore diet and, and limiting um, the plant medicines so much. Uh, I think that when it comes to also psychedelics, uh, it, it, it's worth talking about. I, I do, I would say on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, we'll do some psilocybin with my, um, I'll go hiking. Um, not trying to recommend that to anybody to try to take psilocybin and go on a difficult hike, but because <laughs> um, that could be possibly dangerous, but I do try to go outdoors into nature and uh, with my girlfriend and um, we have a good time. Yeah. I know Ben Greenfield's into that. He talk, he gets a lot of guests about, about the mm -hmm. psychedelics. What yeah. do you, the psychedelics, what do you feel it does to you and how does it help you? And, and do you think there's any harm to it? I don't think that there's any harm to it. I think that it's um, so anything can be bad if you're in a bad place. So it's all about set and setting, right? And so your mindset going into it, if you're suffering from addiction or uh, if you're someone who's um, dealing with a lot of like uh, mental issues, you, you may find that uh, you, like I would say even mushrooms or anything, any, any kind of substance can be addictive in that sense. Um, but if you have the right set and setting and you're being um, guided by, you know, people who really understand the science of it and how it will interact uh, with other things in your body, um, I think it could be super safe and very effective at um, resetting your brain. It's like hitting the reset button on your, on your emotions and, and your bad habits. So, um, I did an ayahuasca ceremony back in 2014, and uh, what, at that what time, is that? <clears throat> yeah, ayahuasca is uh, a plant medicine from the Amazon, um, from South America, Amazonian rainforest, and uh, the the indigenous tribes down there. They realized that they can um, boil this uh, roots of a tree or a bark of a tree and extract the dimethyltryptamine, which is found in high concentrations in that particular plant down in South America in the Amazon. And so they use it for as a ritual um, in like spiritual kind of uh, ritual practices and ceremonies. And they use it, well, for them, they use it, 
use it as a way to get in touch with their spiritual side to talk to the spirits, right? Um, I think that what it really ends up doing is it like if you have a lot of like a default mode network in your brain where like you have deep grooves of this is your your habit these are your habits these are your patterns and if you're like kind of stuck in these bad habits it's like um i saw this great um netflix episode on it like there's it's as if you have tracks or grooves in your brain that are just leading you to do the same behaviors all the time and so when you take these psychedelics and you have these psychedelic experiences it's as if you're wiping away those tracks and that you can start to create new patterns of thought and new patterns of behavior um and so for me it's definitely been life-changing in a way where it gave me new perspective a new appreciation for life and um how to live harmoniously with my environment and the people around me and really at the end of the day how to love other people and I mean, I'm not just talking about like a superficial kind of love. I'm talking about the love of man, the love of God in the hearts of men, right? That's, uh, that's something that I think there, there really isn't a drug out there that can help you see that and realize that. So by the way, I say God and I say, um, when I say God, I also, my interpretation of God is that God is our gut microbiome. And so it is the microbial universe. It is the sum total of all the microbes, um, bacteria, viruses, everything in this, in this world. And that there is a super organism that lives inside all of us. And so that, in my opinion, is God. Because God, this, this super organism that lives inside all of us can dictate our moods, our thought patterns, what it is that we want to eat, our cravings and all these things, whether we're feeling depressed, anxious, happy, sad, whatever, bold, that all has to do with your gut microbiome. And so when I started to first really understand the gut microbiome, I I realized that, you know, if I did anything and everything humanly possible to optimize my gut microbiome, my gut uh, composition, microbial composition, then I would would be able to achieve uh, optimal health. And so that's just my interpretation of God. And I feel like back in the day when they didn't have microscopes or, you know, the ability to really look into on that cellular level, um, there are just a lot of mysteries out there, right? And so now we can explain it because we are able to see on that level. Um, But anyway, I just want to throw that out there. When I say God, I'm not meeting. I mean, you talk about prayer. You you write, you talk about prayer. Mm -hmm. And what is that as far as you're concerned in your Yeah, so I'm praying to my gut microbiome, a.k.a. God, right? So I grew up as, I was raised as a Catholic. Uh, I went to Sunday school for 12 years. And so I have like, I I, I understand Christianity through and through. It's in my blood. It's in my DNA. Uh, But I don't necessarily believe that Jesus Christ ever actually existed. So anyway, but that's a topic for a whole other discussion. But um, like I, I, I pray to my gut microbiome and because I do believe that it has the ability to control my thoughts and my behaviors and my outcome of like everything that is happening around me. And so when I do pray, it's before, it's like a gratitude prayer, 
right? And so I'd say a gratitude prayer before I eat my one and only meal of the day. And I will pray that, you know, uh, please bless this food that is uh, going to enter into my body and that it'll give me nourishment and the strength to love this woman in front of me and to do um, your work. And so it's just a way for me to to trick my mind to thinking that uh, there there uh, there's a, a higher order that I have to um, that I have to report to <laughs> and live up to. And so um, I think it's just kind of my way of making sense of the world. It's not very scientific, I know, but uh, I think we all need to have these like little tips and Everything tricks. doesn't have to be scientific for sure. Yeah. You talk about functional food. Uh, is that something that you, you, you utilize now or you used to utilize? Well, I, functional food is a high protein, like carnivore diet, nose to tail. I think that's, that's really what I've landed on. I'm open to, you know, it's new... not like any packets of, of uh, food that you're eating. No, that type of functional food. No. Oh, you mean like, are you talking stuff you know, that like from, uh, you know, like meal replacement food? And, oh know. no, 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 no. Whole foods only. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about your filmmaking and your acting. What, sure. what are you working on what have you done that we could see you in? And, that's, you know, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, so I started acting, actors training back in 2014. And uh, I was inspired by my really good friend, Frank Karachi. He told me that I should, um, that I should try to get into acting, but I didn't do it, really do anything about it. He told me that when I was in my early 20s. And then um, I was just really depressed at you know, after a bad uh, breakup and didn't know where my life was going. And then I got an opportunity uh, to work as a production manager for a film called Tapestry, um, which was with Stephen Baldwin, Burt Young, and Tina Louise. Tina Louise was Ginger from Gilligan's Island. I don't know if you remember. I sure um, do. Oh, you do? Okay, good. Yeah, and Burt uh, Young was from Rocky? Rocky, that's right. Yeah. So it was a, a kind of a feel-good Christian movie that you know they were putting together. And so I was the production manager for it. And then um one day when uh it was it was a snow day and this girl who is uh an actress she was supposed to play an hr director she couldn't make it to set she got into a fender bender on her way to set and um then the director was like hey david we need someone to play an hr director all right you do it i know that uh, you worked in an office before you could probably do this and so i got thrown into the scene where i played an hr director who fires stephen baldwin from his job after 20 years of service right and I've never acted before at that point. And Stephen Baldwin, after the scene, he came up to me. He was like, dude, what are you doing with your life? You should be an actor. And I was like, wow, Stephen Baldwin just told me I should be an actor. I'm, gonna, I'm really going to do it uh, this time. And um, so that was back in 2014. And I signed up for actor training. Um, my buddy, Frank Karachi, had paid for uh, part of my training as well. And yeah, it's... Since then, I, you know, I've been on a bunch of auditions. I did actually move to Korea, Seoul, Korea, and I joined the Seoul Shakespeare Company for about eight months. And we did, uh, I was cast as Prince Florizel in, in The Winter's Tale. It was a pretty big production out there. So had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, I love theater acting. I don't think you're probably going to see me in anything that's out right now. 
um, unless you end up watching Tapestry. <laughs> um, um, but uh, so I'm working on a few things. I'm trying to do another um, series. I'm trying to um, put together a series for Netflix. It's like uh, Chef's Table, but biohacker profiles. So I'm gonna. So uh, we're planning to do one with Ben Greenfield. We're gonna put together an episode featuring him. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Chef's Table, but it's super beautiful, like ultra cinematic uh, episodes of, you know, and they're focusing on just one chef. We're going to do the same thing, but with biohackers. Yeah, so, that's, that's really yeah. interesting. And you like to write. I do. I and do. You're a good writer. You're a really good writer. You know, oh, wow. Well, thank quite you. Quite a bit of things that you, that you would write, uh, your blogs. And what does cool. writing do for you? Yeah, I, I think writing is, it's an exponential skill. It's the kind of skill that's going to make you better at everything that you do. It's going to magnify all your greatest assets um, and, and abilities. And I think that writing has opened so many doors for me that um, just, I think a lot of people don't realize that um, how important writing can be and knowing how to write a good letter to somebody. <clears throat> when I was growing up, my dad forced me to write a lot of his um, business letters to the city for, you know, fighting a parking ticket to fighting a bill at a bank or reversing a chart or whatever. And so I, I had so much of that practice growing up that, uh, and I read all these books on like how to write a good business letter and that the, the ability to write a, a good letter um, can open the door to you talking to almost anybody. So like, I'm almost unafraid. I mean, I, I have no qualms trying to reach out to the president, to a senator, to uh, a famous speaker, to anybody in order to get them on the show or whatever it is that, I, that my goal is. But um, I think writing, it's, it's also a great release. Um, I really should be doing it more than I am today. Um, I used to journal every single day. Uh, that was, that was a, a good practice. And I don't do that enough, but um, I think that I do encourage everybody to write more. Definitely. I think that's, that's really great advice. So what's next for David Choi? What's next for David Choi? So I'm just taking things in stride. I'm going back to NYU. I'm going to get my cybersecurity master's um, and also study urban informatics. So on my a journey to trying to become the next mayor, not the next mayor, but a future mayor of New York City. Um, I do realize that, you know, my shtick is definitely going to be trying to uh, transform New York City into the healthiest big city in the world. Um, I have a great, uh, I have a lot of great ideas on how to do that. I'm working on a project called Hitcoin, where uh, it's a digital currency for exercise enthusiasts. So anybody with a whoop band or any a Fitbit or whatever can monetize their, their physical activity and their movements. And they can to earn what's called hit coins. It's a digital currency. And you can do one thing with this digital currency, and that is to purchase fresh organic produce from local urban farms. So I'm wanting to create a a closed loop, a, its own universe of functional food and fitness, right? And so um, one thing is going to uh, help each other. And how could people sign up for Biohack the World and find out what's upcoming? 
Sure. Uh, you can go to Biohack the World's website, www.biohackthe.world, and uh, you can sign up for the newsletter there. You can follow us on Instagram, um, Biohack the World, at Biohack the World. And um, yeah, those are the best places to go. And if this, if people want to get in touch with you, is that the p best place to go? They want to find out more about you. What sure. do you recommend? Yeah, you can go to my personal website, davidjchoi.com, davidjchoi.com. And all uh, my contacts are there. I want to thank David Choi for spending some time with us today. He's an incredible guest. He's an incredible person. I love spending time with him. I love his Biohack the World. Please, everybody out there, go to Biohack the World, sign up and get involved because if you're healthy, you're gonna feel better, just like David explained. This is Dr. Kerry Gelb for Open Your Eyes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Press boy feet, I have no idea how to say that. Press biopia? Presbyopia might be the ability to see Presbyterians. There are people who are afraid of the press. I have no idea what it is, honestly. Presbyopia. A condition in which the eye loses its ability to focus. Making it hard to see objects up close. I've heard the bifocal, but not right, multifocal. I have never heard of multifocal contact lenses, no. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.